1: And this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi Birth Tales with you all. This episode of Kiwi Birth Tales is sponsored by New Edition. They're part of Green Group Collective. They create affordable essentials that are designed and made in New Zealand with non-toxic materials, natural ingredients, and less packaging. Simpler for you, safer for baby, and kinder to our planet. The new edition team have just launched their very first New Zealand designed and manufactured manual breast pump, as well as a sanitation range, which is also made in our homeland. The range includes a manual breast pump, which is super soft, comfortable, and effective. They use a higher than food grade silicon made from the same raw materials as medical supplies. Perfect for catching your letdown. The water-based hand sanitizers are unique and they last on your hands for up to 24 hours. They only come off with friction, meaning you're protected after washing your hands and touching that supermarket trolley handle. The Everything Spray really is for everything. It lasts up to 30 days on surfaces and this is perfect for high chairs, car seats, toys, couches, floors, traveling and simply everything. All you have to do is spray, allow it to dry and then it's active and your family is protected. The products are fragrance-free and less toxic than vitamin C and coffee. They've also been proven to kill over 100 microbes like E. coli, norovirus and Ebola. All packaging is made in New Zealand, it's 100% recyclable, and to keep the little ones safe, they only use non-toxic colours and inks. Even the courier bags are compostable. I'd really love for you to go and check New Edition out. You can find them in the link to the show notes down below, or you can also go onto the Kiwi Birth Tales Instagram, where I'll post a bit about them in my story, and they've also kindly offered a giveaway to our followers, so go and have a look there. Thanks again, New Edition, for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you enjoy. In today's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Katie about the birth of her daughter. Katie takes us through her long journey to pregnancy, as well as her extreme hyperemesis and some antenatal anxiety that came along with that. Katie was originally based in London and then moved home to New Zealand for the rest of her care, and she is also a midwife here in New Zealand. So it's really interesting to hear her story from a midwife perspective and also a new mum, and I hope you enjoy. Let's get into it. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today.
0: You're welcome. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Great. Really good. Awesome. That's good.
1: And could you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your family?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, in our family, there's just myself and my partner, Ruan. And then we have our recently one-year-old daughter, Chloe. yeah, so she turned one on the 22nd of October. And that's it. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. And what part of New Zealand do you guys live in? We live in Auckland, North Shore of Auckland. Awesome. Cool. Very cool. And what was the journey like
1: to pregnancy for you guys with Chloe?
0: So um, before I got pregnant with Chloe, we had probably been trying like a good four or five years, I would say. So it was really long and we had, um, it wasn't easy to get pregnant and it took us, yeah, years and years of trying. We ended up needing quite a bit of help to get pregnant. But once I got pregnant, um, yeah, my pregnancy was as far as, um, any kind of struggles went, it was more like the hyperemesis. I had hyperemesis, but um, my pregnancy was really healthy. So I didn't have any issues with that. Like I, I had no bleeding or no yeah. miscarriage scares or anything like that. So as far as that yeah. goes, it was, I guess, an easy um, pregnancy for Chloe, but um, <laughs> a really difficult journey for me.
1: Yeah. And how did you find out that you were pregnant? Did you have many early symptoms?
0: Um. So I started feeling sick. Right from about three and a half to four weeks pregnant, really early. Yeah. So um, I I knew from there that I was definitely pregnant because obviously <laughs> we needed help to get pregnant, so we were on the lookout for all of those things. But um, it was really obvious by about five weeks pregnant that I was going to get quite sick with my pregnancy. Um yeah. So yeah, I had early early pregnancy symptoms.
1: Yeah. And how did you sort of progress from there? Did you end up with, um, like you said, hyperemesis or what, what was the sort of progression from those first five weeks?
0: So from five weeks, I, I obviously at four weeks had a blood test to confirm the pregnancy. And then a week later yeah. had another blood test to show that the levels were climbing. And then, um, yeah, by five weeks, I was vomiting. And I needed to, so I was in New Zealand at that point, but, um, cause we had been over for a wedding and, um, we actually lived in London. So I had to fly back to London. Um, I think I was oh, nice. six and a half weeks pregnant, <laughs> um, yeah. and really, really unwell. So I had to fly back to London and then kind of do the pregnancy or that early part very much on my own. So I was just sick day in, day out. Um. Right up until about 20 weeks pregnant, but oh, mostly till like the sickness was at its worst to about 17 or 18 weeks and then gradually got yep. better. And did
1: you find anything helped you sort of when you were feeling that sick or there just really was nothing? You just had to get through it?
0: Um, the, Like my headspace was terrible, so... Um, it was kind of like a chicken and egg situation I didn't know what came first the nausea or the anxiety or the anxiety then the nausea so yeah um, yeah but as it turned out once my at about 20 weeks when my nausea significantly lessened I had almost no anxiety so it was pretty clear from then that I um, it wasn't an anxiety thing starting yeah. at, it was the nausea causing me to feel really anxious because I just didn't have like every every waking moment of my day, I was just horrifically sick. Like I remember mm-hmm. Ruan would go to work and I didn't have any friends or anything in London because we had only just moved there and then I got pregnant. Um, and he used to just, I was just would just lie on the floor on a towel all day. And then he mm. would just, he would come home, help me have a shower, put me to bed. And then it was just, literally that every single day. Um yeah. until I kinda got to the point where I was able to force myself to do a few things that included like going for a walk. I did lots of walking because that helped when I was feeling really nauseous. Um yeah. and I went to I did like a quite a bit I did a um like a maternal mental health counselling session once a week. Um so nothing really helped. I also did acupuncture but I think just the trying to help it helped. Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And were you under the care of a midwife or anything in London? Were you planning to give birth there?
0: Yeah. So when I first got pregnant, I was intending to birth there, but um I was quite like mentally unstable in that early part of my pregnancy because of how sick I was. So we made the decision yeah. then to um, come back to New Zealand to give birth. Yeah. And I thought that I would only cope if we came back to New Zealand, but you know, the further I got into my pregnancy and especially after when I was actually fine again, um, I, I realized that I would have coped in London, um, with, yeah, Yeah. but, um, we did decide to come back to New Zealand. So I switched from my midwifery here over there to a midwife over here.
1: Yeah, and were there any major sort of differences that you noticed between the care over there and the care in New Zealand?
0: Like, dramatically different. So apart so apart from the fact that both the UK and New Zealand are midwife-led countries for their maternity system, the differences are really vast. Like, um, you don't see the same midwife and you don't have an independent midwife. You have a midwife employed by the NHS. I was pretty lucky because I was under um, a more intensive care program. So because of how difficult I found it mentally, um, I was under a different team of midwives. So I actually did see the same midwife every appointment. Um, yeah. But had I intended to give birth there, you, that midwife doesn't come and look after you when you're in labor like my midwife here or the midwives here do.
1: Sure. Yeah. And you're a midwife yourself, aren't you?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Awesome. So (laughs) I can imagine um, that was probably different to what most of us usually experience too, because it's your job. So um, yeah, that would be really interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't, I don't think that it made it easier. If anything, I would say that it made it quite a bit harder. um, Yeah. Just having that, in-depth knowledge of every single thing that's happening and every single thing that could go wrong.
1: Yeah. Probably contributed to some anxiety at some stage.
0: Oh, extremely. Like I was convinced that all these catastrophic obstetric emergencies were going to happen for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And did you do any sort of like birth classes or hypnobirthing or anything like that throughout your pregnancy?
0: No, I, no, I didn't. So I moved to New Zealand when I was 30 weeks pregnant. So I missed out on any type of antenatal classes. Just I would have missed the start by a few weeks. So I didn't do anything like that. Um, And no, I didn't do, I didn't do hypnobirthing. Although in my labor, I did do some meditation and I had done some meditation with that calm app throughout my pregnancy just to help with like anxiety. I guess.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And how were you feeling in that third trimester? Obviously your sickness had subsided and you were back in New Zealand. So how did your pregnancy experience change?
0: Yeah. So mentally it was completely different. I probably would say I felt 80% back to normal mentally. Yeah. Um, I think I really struggled to bond with Chloe when I was pregnant and I was kind of convinced that, um, afterwards i would struggle to bond as well so i would say that right up until i gave birth to her i still didn't have any um connection with my pregnancy so i didn't feel complete resentment like i did in the early stages when i just didn't want to be pregnant but um i certainly didn't feel any like loving type of connection with my pregnancy or with my baby i kind of yeah. i felt like a like i had a bit of a duty of care to keep her safe but i wouldn't say that i loved her or loved being pregnant and I um, I didn't have that relentless nausea but I continued to vomit right up until I was in labor with her so that oh, was still wow. pretty tough and I had it sounds minor compared to the hyperemesis and I guess it is but I had really bad indigestion my entire pregnancy from 20 weeks mm-hmm. and I found it really uh, I just I felt yuck all of the time Um, with, you know, terrible, terrible heartburn. Um, so I didn't, I wouldn't say I enjoyed the rest of my pregnancy, but it certainly wasn't as challenging as it was in the first and second trimester, particularly because I had so much support here. Um, but yeah, I also ended up getting something called cholestasis, intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy. So I had a bit of a complicated time and, um. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say pregnancy and I got on very well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and do you just want to take us through what that means for someone who hasn't heard of that before?
0: So, um it's called intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy, and basically it's like a liver disorder that's specific to pregnancy. So for some reason things in that area, like to, for in a very basic sense, Um, stop functioning as well your liver enzymes can be affected and um, your bile salts so different countries have different levels of like diagnosis levels yeah I started and it makes you itchy so um, it often commonly causes itching in the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet and yeah the the worry with it is that there have There is evidence to show that um, cholestasis, but more specifically like poorly controlled cholestasis, can cause stillbirth. So, yeah, that's the biggest concern with it, apart from that you're very, very itchy. um, And they usually recommend an induction, although all those type of guidelines and stuff are are changing at the moment. But um, for me, it meant I ended up with an induction around 37 weeks.
1: Yeah, and is that when you were diagnosed with it or was it a little bit earlier?
0: No, so I started getting itchy actually at about 26 weeks. So um, I was still in London and I I was just woofing at the dog next door. Um, Yeah, so I was about 26 weeks when I first started getting itchy and I had two tests while I was in London, which both came back negative. But the thing about diagnosing it is that Bile salt levels, which is what you use to diagnose it, um, are quite transient. um So we never caught it at a diagnostic level in London. And then we decided to actually stop testing for it while I was there because the management wouldn't be any different and they m- may have um, said I couldn't fly. So we decided okay. to, pretty much because with my history as a midwife, I knew that I had cholestasis. Like I. I absolutely yeah, knew that yeah. I had it, regardless of what my tests were coming back as. So we decided just to leave it until I got back to New Zealand. And then, yeah, I think it was about 31 weeks that I got a positive bile salt <laughs> test for it. Um, And I think at that point they were 25 for anyone that was in the know. So, yeah, that was yeah. my first over, over the threshold bile salt reading. And I think it's yeah. like over some countries, it's over six, over 10, right. or over 15. So regardless yeah. of where I was, it was very positive for polystasis. Like I had no one already.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And do you manage the itch in any way with a cream or anything like that? Or you sort of just have to put up with it?
0: There's nothing that much that can help it. Although um, you go on a medication called Urso. I think it's called Ursodeoxycholic acid, but don't quote me on that. Um, And yeah, I went on that, and it lowered my bile salts quite a bit and made my itching quite a bit better. So um, that was good.
1: Awesome. And so you got induced at thirty-seven weeks, did you say?
0: Yeah. So um, I actually first I actually had two inductions. So the first one didn't work, and I was thirty-six weeks and five days at that one. Um, Yeah. So I went in for that one because I had an abnormal urine test as well. I I went into hospital that day because I was feeling really yuck. And my blood pressure was up a little bit and I had what's called a um, positive PCR, so it's a protein-creatinine ratio. Yeah. And it's diagnostic for um, preeclampsia. But mine was a little bit unusual because it was positive and then negative and then positive again, I think. Um, so it just kept fluctuating. But because of having that factor and feeling really off and disgusting and having the um, they decided that I should have an induction then on that day. Yeah. Um, but I was just a little bit early and it didn't work. I was there for three days. So because the urine test had normalized again and my blood pressure was okay, we decided to wait um, and go back in five days and try again.
1: Yeah. And did they just use the gel the first time around when they tried to induce you and it didn't work?
0: Yeah, they did. They just used the gel, um, but they couldn't get me to the point where they would have been able to break my waters.
1: Yeah, cool. And do you want to take us through um, the induction experience at 37 weeks then?
0: Yeah, so um, I went in and had the gel in the morning, and the plan was that um, my obstetrician there would break my waters, like even if it was really, really difficult, we were going to break my waters because I really I needed to have a baby by that point. Um, yeah, and I wanted to avoid a cesarean section, so I had one dose of gel in the morning, and then she came in. And that was about eight o'clock, I think. And then she came in and broke my waters at um, one thirty. Um, I think I was only one centimeter, um, one centimeter dilated. So I found those examinations really painful because I had had so much gel. Um, but that time yeah. it was actually okay because I had only had one lot of gel. Yeah. And then, yeah, my waters were broken at one thirty, and I started Syntocin on. Um, so I went into labor straight away, actually. I started having really strong contractions right from when my waters broke. And then I had some on at 3.30, I think. It was about 3.34 o'clock. And um, I also had an epidural because I was just really struggling with the pain by then because I had a really long cervix still. Um, I, I wasn't sort of favorable, they, we would call it for an ARM. So I still had all that facing to do, which is really painful on Sintocin So, um, yeah, I had an epidural, yeah. which was amazing.
1: So do you want to take us through your sort of labor and birth experience from there? Obviously after you had the epidural, yeah. what happened next?
0: So I had an epidural. It actually took like, I think it took the anaesthetist three goes to get it in. And then it didn't work properly either. So mm-hmm. that wasn't, fun. Um, I had yeah. almost entire relief on one side of my body but not on the other side so um, I found that really uncomfortable but by the time we kind of decided that it wasn't working enough because I was still using the gas and air by that point so that by the time we decided that I wanted to get a new one um, my midwife had come in and she asked the obstetrician um to do an examination again because we needed to sort out what was happening. And I think yeah. I don't know, but I think at that point, I think it was about eleven thirty at night. No, it wasn't because I had her at eleven thirty, it was about ten thirty mm-hmm. at night. And I think the thinking was that a my obstetrician, um, would if if nothing had happened from when I was um about three centimetres when I had the epidural put in. I think they were thinking that it might end up being a cesarean section but um yeah yeah so the reason that Marty my midwife wanted to do an examination was because I was so uncomfortable again and she just wanted to get it sorted and see what the plan would be and yeah. um I actually turned out it turned out that I was fully dilated and that's why I was oh, so wow. uncomfortable like, <laughs> just that horrific amount of pressure um yeah so yeah, at 10.30 I was fully, and um, the baby's head was sitting, the baby being Chloe, was sitting right really low, which is why I was so sore, and the epidural had pretty much stopped working. So yeah. we just decided to push the baby out. So um actually, um we did like a few practice pushes first, but I kind of, pushing can be really hard because you just don't know what you're doing, but I actually... I knew what I was doing because I've coached so many women through it. So yeah. I knew I'd be really good at it. I felt like I'd be really good at it. And because the epidural wasn't working, I had so much feeling there. And it's yeah. just like this expulsive feeling that I could describe before, but I never actually knew how expulsive it actually felt. Like you <laughs> just can't do anything other than push. So yeah. um, I started pushing and I actually pushed her out in 25 minutes. So. really, really quick. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there was no, there were no complications or anything. I mean, um, at one point I know that my midwife wanted to cut an episiotomy, but, um, so she was trying to get me to stop pushing, but I I literally could not. And the baby just flew out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And what position were you in? Were you on the bed or?
0: Yeah. So I, I was semi reclined on the bed. I was lying down.
1: Yeah. And did you know that you were having a girl before she was born? Yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah, awesome. And did you have any tearing or anything like that that needed stitching afterwards?
0: Yeah, I did. So I had quite a big um, second degree tear. Yeah. I had an intact perineum at that point, but the tear was in my <laughs> vaginal wall, so it was really deep, like a like a deep pocket. So yeah. – um. My obstetrician actually had to cut an episiotomy after Chloe was born to suture it properly, oh, okay.
1: um, yep.
0: but I didn't have any complications with it. Um, like, I didn't have any bleeding or anything like that, and the stitches felt really comfortable straight away. Um, although yep. I have had to have a little procedure done <coughs> because of the scar tissue that was created. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, but other than that, it was <coughs> all good.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And what happened from there? Did you do skin to skin and were you planning to try and breastfeed? Do you want to take us through that?
0: We did skin to skin for about an hour, I think. Um, I had her at 1130, so everyone was pretty tired and I was really tired as well. So I did skin to skin and then we tried to give her a feed, but she had quite a recessed jaw when she was born. So she didn't latch at all. Actually, she didn't latch for about the first three weeks so I had heaps of trouble with breastfeeding um so she had some colostrum that I had expressed antenatally um and we went over to the ward to spend the night there um and one of my friends that's a midwife on the ward was looking after me so she took Chloe for a few hours while I had a sleep and um then in the morning she had a hearing screen and, um, we decided to go home. So we went home probably, I think it was probably less than 24 hours later because it was the afternoon.
1: Awesome. And how did you feel sort of getting home and you've got your newborn baby and I know you sort of mentioned that you were struggling to bond with her throughout your pregnancy. So did you feel like that changed immediately or was it a bit of a slow sort of start?
0: It was pretty much immediately. So I didn't like have this overwhelming bonding experience within the first kind of hour. Um, but I immediately, like, I think the first thing I said was, Oh my gosh, she's so cute. I want another one. So <laughs> I did definitely love her, but it was a little bit strange. Like it was a strange yeah. feeling, but, um I definitely didn't struggle to bond with her. Like I thought I would, like none of those fears transpired. Although I had like a rough, first two weeks I guess with hormones and I felt quite resentful of her I didn't not love her and I definitely didn't not bond with her but I did feel quite resentful of my new life like I I kind of expected that that was how it was going to be that I was just going to be like this hormonal I had quite bad hormonal sweats which was really uncomfortable terrible breastfeeding and I just Felt like that was going to be my life. So, um, yeah, it was a difficult first two weeks, but I definitely did bond with her. But, um, yeah, I, I found it, I found it a bit overwhelming.
1: Yeah. And how did you go with breastfeeding? Pardon? How did you go with breastfeeding? I know that you mentioned, um, she wouldn't feed from you for the first three weeks, but I know from your Instagram that you're still feeding. So you must have had, um, yeah. something change there.
0: Yeah, so we had a lot of support, which I'm really lucky about. I have quite a few friends that are lactation consultants, and my midwife was really supportive. But we had a posterior tongue tie, so she ended up having that cut twice. And I don't really know if it helped. I think what mostly helped was the time. She was quite a small baby. She was only, she was just just about 2.9 kilos, but she had a really, oh, sorry. She had a really small little jaw. And it was quite recessed. So I think, and quite a high palate. So it just took a while for her palate to kind of mold, um, and her jaw to sort of open up and come forward. And I think, I think we latched properly at three weeks, but I would say it took us a good six to eight weeks to feel really confident with breastfeeding. Um, we used one of those Harkin nipple shields for at least the first four weeks. And, um, she was also topped up with some formula and some donor milk because my supply really suffered from not having her latch for those first few weeks. Like I didn't lay down those prolactin receptors, um, well, so I never had a full supply. Um, but yeah, she's 12 months now and we're still feeding and you would never, ever guess that there was any trouble at the beginning.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And what was your physical recovery like from birth? Obviously the stitches and just birthing in general, how long did you find it took to recover and sort of feel normal again?
0: Well, I think because I had felt so disgusting in my pregnancy, as soon as I was not pregnant, I just felt amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the first like three days postpartum, I felt amazing. And then I started getting that really, really Intense hormonal come down. Yeah. So I didn't really find it that enjoyable for the first two weeks, I guess. But after that, I felt really good, and my body wasn't sore, and I didn't have the itching, and I didn't have the vomiting, and I didn't have the reflux. (laughs) So, um, for me, the postpartum bit was really good. I wouldn't say that I had the easiest baby, and I probably still don't. Um, Yeah. But. Um, in terms of, because I was comparing everything to how hard pregnancy was for me, I found it a lot easier.
1: Awesome. And is there anything else that you'd like to share sort of in regards to your birth story or any, any advice that you'd like to give to other mums out there?
0: I think that's it. I mean, for us, the hardest bit after I had Chloe was certainly the breastfeeding. Um, and I would say that I persisted for me and I think that that's really important that like breastfeeding is amazing for a baby but um I would never ever recommend someone persisted at the expense of their mental health so for my mental health achieving a good breastfeeding um, or establishing breastfeeding properly and being able to persist with it was really important for me like Chloe really didn't care and in fact she actually preferred a bottle we we had to really um, work to to avoid her bottle preference that she developed. So yeah, um, yeah for for Chloe, she didn't care at all as long as she was fed um but for me I really wanted to breastfeed so that's why I did it and I think that's probably the most important thing that I would press you know to mums that they shouldn't ever continue with something um yeah at the expense of their own mental health but if it's for them um that they want to you know put that if that if achieving the breastfeeding is really important to them and, and it actually improves their mental health, then, um, you know, try and persist because it does get, it does get better. But certainly if you're doing it because you think that that's what you should do to be a good mum, but it's actually really harming you mentally, then, um, then just don't do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us today. I really appreciate it. And I know a lot of others will too. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. So either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at Kiwi Birth Tales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.